Well, it is good to worship with you. Uh, it's good to have a microphone. The first service, we had some issues. I think it was user error on my part. Uh, grateful, I, and I don't even, I said this to the first service, I don't want to take it for granted that we have audio equipment, a comfortable room, uh, an opportunity where we can come together and worship. There are many all over the world that don't have the luxuries that we do. So I'm, I'm grateful. We continue our series in Galatians asking, is Jesus enough? I want to recap where we've been as these first two chapters have been centering on Paul's defense of himself. And I have a slide again. The first two chapters are Paul's defense of his apostolic authority. He's laid out his argument in a biographical sketch of his life, demonstrating that the gospel that he preaches... Remember Galatians 1.4, Jesus died to save us from the present evil age. Acts 13, the gospel that communicated that freeness and forgiveness apart from the Old Testament law is found in Christ. This gospel, he says in the first two chapters, it's not a product of man. He didn't make it up. The disciples didn't give it to him. It was from God. Now, in our passage this morning, we're in the transition from a defense of his authority and message to, to really just the defense of the gospel itself. I'll ask that you grab a copy of the scriptures, if you haven't, and turn to Galatians chapter 2. We'll be in verses 15 through 21. And our sermon title asks this question. How am I right with God? This is the question. Not just the letter that Paul's writing to these churches in Galatia. It's the question of life. And really, this is what's being debated in Paul's day. Is Jesus enough to be right with God? Or is my right standing with God the product of my faith plus my own moral living? This wasn't a question that merely determined salvation. It was a question that determines of whether or not we are right with God after we become followers, after we trust in Jesus. Now, you may be aware, but in the province of God, today is what is known as Reformation Day. On October 31, 1517, there was a monk named Martin Luther who would nail his 95 theses, his written grievances against the Catholic Church, it would be the beginning, the beginning of a revolution, a recapturing of the biblical teaching of this question. How am I right with God? Our passage is at the center of this historical anniversary. So would you read with me, please, verses 15 through 21. We ourselves are Jews, by birth, and not Gentile sinners. Yet, yet, we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one, will be justified. 
But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. (laughs) I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. The main idea I want to come away with this morning, that I really want us to leave our gathering with, that I want us to cling to as we go through a busy week, is this. Jesus is enough to make me right with God. Now, Paul's going to make this argument throughout this passage by answering our question, how am I right with God? And he's going to answer this in two ways. First, he says, I am right with God, not through human effort. This is more difficult to believe than you may think. The Christian doctrine or teaching that right standing with God, fancy word, justification is by faith alone, Christ alone, grace alone. Well, that is something we might give a hearty amen to on a Sunday morning. But as we saw in our passage last week with Peter, there are times when the conduct of our life is contrary to what we say we believe. So what examples are there of human effort? Well, there's plenty, but Paul points specifically to the Old Testament law. Now, the Old Testament law was not simply a collection of documents that stated the do's and the do-nots of life and religion. The Old Testament law was a revelation of the character and the person of God to a people, to the nation of Israel. The Jewish culture was built on the fact that God had revealed himself to them that he had chosen them, that he had given them commands, and that he would bless them if they were faithful followers to the covenant. And really, that's the summary of verse 15 in the beginning there. Look again. Jews by birth, not Gentile sinners. That's what he's saying. Yet, he says the following, we Jews... The chosen people of God, the ones entrusted with the revelation of God, the commands of God, the ones that are recipients of the covenants of God, we know, he says in verse 16. Well, what do they they know? Read the first part of verse 16 again. We know that a person is not justified by works. Of the law. Now, there was a word in this verse that was repeated three times. Did you notice it? Justified. Paul is saying that Jewish believers know about the doctrine or the teaching 
of justification. They know about right standing with God. They know that it's not available through human effort. It's not available through obedience to the law. Many commentators here point to Psalm 143, verse 2. I have it on the slide for you. The psalmist writes, Enter not into judgment with your servant, for no one living is righteous before you. The concept of the Old Testament law not making us right with God is not a paradigm shift. It's not some new teaching. It's repeated throughout the law, the prophets, and the writings. And brothers and sisters, do you know what one of the purposes of the law of God is? Well, we're going to address this more in the coming weeks as we go through Galatians. But one of the purposes of the law is to lead us to a question. We read hundreds of laws and stipulations throughout the Torah. And we ask, who? Who is able to fulfill this standard? Who can be right before God? Who can be justified? Paul says plainly in our passage, no one. I am not right with God through the human effort of following and obeying the Old Testament law. Now, quickly here, verses 17 and 18, they add more to this. Look again at verse 17. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Now, on its face, this can read a little difficult and confusing. I want to point to a word and then a question. Look at the word we. If we too were found to be sinners. Well, who's the we? Well, let's do some inductive study here. Look up at verse 15 again. We ourselves are Jews. So the we in our passage in verse 17 are Jewish Christians. Jewish Christians who realize their sinful disposition is just as depraved as the Gentiles. But notice the follow-up question. Is Christ then, is he a servant of sin? That's a really strange question. A question like this is common in Paul's writing. What he often does is he meets objections or questions that may have been raised. So here's what he's saying. If believing that Jesus is enough means that we shed the requirements of the Old Testament law and we shed the elevation of human effort, and doing that means that we admit that we're sinners just like Gentiles, is Jesus about the business of celebrating sin? This objection is brought anytime the gospel of grace is clearly preached, whether it's in Paul's day or ours. The legalist in us gets nervous, and so were these Jewish Christians who were urging the Galatian churches to follow ceremonial Old Testament laws. If Jesus is enough, does he just encourage us to throw out holiness? Does he just encourage us to throw out Pleasing God, Paul says, certainly not, certainly not. And he continues in verse 18. If I rebuild 
my allegiance to the law. If I rebuild the wall of hostility and the separation from Gentiles, well, I just prove that I'm a transgressor. I'm a lawbreaker. I can't uphold any of this. So what is Paul saying in these first few verses? He's telling these Galatian churches that they are playing a fuzzy math game. They're adding to the gospel. They're being influenced by legalists. Good standing with God at salvation, our justification, and good standing with God as a faithful follower in a life of sanctification, it's not based on human effort. If you, my friends, if you seek to follow the law, if you seek to build yourself up by human effort, if you think you will achieve God's favor by being a good person, you're sorely mistaken. This has incredible implications on our life today. I hope hearing and seeing this in these verses is an encouragement to your soul. If you're here or you're watching online and you're considering Christianity, you don't have to clean your life up before God would accept you. Acceptance is not based on your work. It's based on Christ's work on your behalf. You're not right with God by human effort or following a list of rules. You can't keep them. You'll fail at some point, if not immediately. So here's a, here's a hymn that summarizes this really well. Not the labor of my hands can fulfill thy law's demands. Could my zeal no respite know? Could my tears forever flow? All for sin could not atone. Thou must save and thou alone. Nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. For those of us who are faithful followers, when was the last time that you praised God for this reality? When was the last time you thanked him for not having to fulfill the requirements of the Levitical code? When was the last time you sat in grateful reflection that your good standing isn't determined by how diligent of a Christian you were this week? Human effort. When was the last time you thanked him that the human effort of your parenting, your schoolwork, your ability to resist temptation, the sincerity of your confession and your repentance when you did fail, or your lack of consistency in sharing the gospel? Or what about your lukewarm allegiance to him in contrast to your zealous allegiance to whatever your tribe is? All of that effort or our lack of effort, it does not make you right with God. And praise God, because if it did, who could ever keep it? Who would ever be right in his eyes? Well, this leads us to Paul's next answer. How am I right with God? It's not through human effort. It is through faith. It's through faith. Look again at verse 16. A person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. 
Paul continues to flesh out this reality in perhaps the most well-known verses of the letter of Galatians. Reread 19 and 20 with me again. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Well, there's two implications of this faith that I'd like us to consider briefly, and they're very connected to the heart of the gospel. First, we are right with God through faith in a crucified Christ. The historical narrative of Jesus bears witness to the fact that he was crucified. He hung on a cross. He was delivered by a Jewish mob and leaders. It was carried out by the Roman government. Christianity teaches that Jesus died to pay for the sins of his people, a needy humanity. On the cross, Jesus substituted himself for sinners. His hanging on a tree was not only a physical death. It was a spiritual death as well. Because he took sin on himself, the Father crushed him, separated himself from Jesus, and judged him for the sins that he did not commit. It's called by many the great exchange. Well, a biblical witness bears this out. Isaiah 53, 5 says this, But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes, we are healed. 1 John 2, 2, He is the propitiation for our sins. He's the appeasement. He's the satisfaction for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. 2 Corinthians 5.21. Kids, this is, the, this is fire right here. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God a crucified Christ. It's been said here in verse 20 that Paul is speaking of Christ's death in a way that's larger than just rescue and forgiveness. But it seems that faith in Christ in his death communicates a union, a union in which, in some sense, Paul died on that cross with Jesus, verse 20 says. Part of Paul died on that cross, and it was the law that revealed the inability of his human effort. Verse 19 even seems to imply that a death of sorts is the prerequisite to new life. More on that in a moment. The second implication of our faith is not just that we are crucified with Christ, a crucified Christ, but we understand and believe in a living Christ. The biblical, historical, and empirical evidence demonstrates that this God-man, Jesus, did in fact die. And he literally, physically, 
quite supernaturally, I might add, rose from the grave and he lives today. Even in our verses, Paul doesn't speak of Jesus in a way that implies that he simply died at one time, but that Jesus is living now. Paul sees himself so intimately connected, so justified, so in Christ as a faithful follower, that not only did part of Paul die and was crucified, but when he believed in the gospel of Jesus, Paul was given new life. Christ lives in him, he says. He essentially says this, the man you once knew, Saul, the Jew, the rebel, the murderer, the intellect, the man marked by obedience and a following of human effort in the Old Testament law, that dude's dead. He's gone. Look again at verse 20. I think we could, I could just keep reading this verse again and again. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, because that, that's not some Minecraft reference. In the flesh, he's saying, in the, in the life, in the body that I have right now, the life that I live, in this life, I live by faith in the Son of God. There's a story of a well-known pastor, and I can't remember who it was, but whenever someone knocked on his door, uh, yes, hello, is Mr. So-and-so there? Uh, no, he died. Oh, he's dead? Yeah, he's dead. Christ lives here now. I mean, maybe we should start answering our door that way. But brothers and sisters, that's true of us. That's the reality of Lakewood Church this morning. It is. Here are some ways that faithful followers of Christ at Lakewood are already living this out. Part of you has died with Christ. And Christ lives in you. When a father dies to comfort and in patience and cleans up a poop explosion in the bathroom, that's Galatians 2.20. When a child dies to their preferences and their desires and they obey their parents, that's Galatians 2.20. When a man or a woman dies to their temperament and serves where there's a need, that's dying to self and Christ living in me. When a man or a woman, or the local body dies to earthly riches and gives joyfully and sacrificially so the gospel can go out? That's Galatians 2.20. When someone dies to sexual desire and is faithful to the ethics and commands of Scripture, that's me dying and Christ living in me. When you die to your opinions in order to encourage and to uplift and to provide, maybe even for a young adult? That's Galatians 2.20. When you die to your plans and follow God's clear direction in sharing the gospel? When a family dies to convenience and opens their home to foster and adopt children? That is Galatians 2.20. When you and I 
die to our self-righteousness in our human effort, and we rest in the finished work of Christ, that's Galatians 2.20. Isn't the Lord so kind? He is working in our midst, is he not? We have seen part of ourselves die with Christ and him live in us and through us. May it continue to be more and more present reality in our church. The truth is, and maybe to our disappointment some mornings, the truth is we're still here. We have not been beamed up to heaven. When we trusted in Christ, our bodies did not evaporate and we simply became floating spirits. God didn't lift us out of a broken world or take us away from our daily responsibilities. That's what he means when he says he's living a life in the flesh. He's here. Paul comes in with a word to these struggling Galatian churches and reminds them of what? Their identity in Jesus. Their identity in Christ. They don't need, these Galatian churches, they don't need circumcision. They don't need Old Testament dietary laws. They don't need unnecessary separation from those who can eat with them in order to please God. You guys have been distracted before. You're fine. The Galatian churches didn't need human effort or Old Testament law. They didn't need a list of do's and do nots. They had Christ. They had Jesus, who lives in them by faith, who gave himself for sinners so that they don't have to sacrifice themselves on the altar of human effort and performance. And so, my friends, so it is with us. Isn't that so freeing? That it's not my human effort or performance that makes me right with God? I think verse 21 sums up the entire argument real well. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. We, you and I, we nullify, we cancel, we treat as meaningless, and we set aside the grace of God when we champion the work of our human hands and not the finished work of Christ. That German monk, uh, Martin Luther, he put it this way 500 years ago. We are constrained to answer, unless we be stark mad, crazy, that he suffered in very deed, and that he suffered not in vain, nor for himself, but for us he suffered. And if then he suffered not in vain, it follows of necessity that righteousness comes not by the law. Good standing is not through our works. Here's the danger this very moment. It is possible. This is very dangerous. 
it is possible for you and I to think that this is old news and not good news. It is possible for us to hear this and say, I know this already. Why belabor the point? Can I gently remind you, brothers and sisters, that there is nothing deeper than the reality of good standing and justification by faith. Nothing. Nothing deeper. The Christian life as a faithful follower never gets past this question. How am I right with God? Through faith. And that impacts my whole world and the world of this church. The core value of biblical living, it's dependent on justification through faith. Our relational community, why do we get together? Well, not because we're playing golf together. This isn't a community club. Where our relational community is built on the person and the work of Christ. Justification by faith. Our intentional outreach, it communicates this truth. Justification by faith. It all hinges on the perfect work of Jesus on our behalf. And my friends, this is what drives the faithful follower of Christ. Grace. Grace. We are not spurred on to love God and our neighbor. Not because we're guilted by commands or laws. Not because it's what the preacher says or because it's part of some core value that we made up. We are compelled to pray to submit to God's word, to live in community, to give generously and sacrificially, to meet the needs of our community, to serve in the local church, to share the gospel with our neighbor or family member. All of it, all of it flows from the grace of God and the beauty of the Lord Jesus Christ. Justification by faith. How... How am I right with God? Jesus. Jesus is enough because he makes me right with God. Let's pray that this week we would live this out boldly. But not just boldly, joyfully. You should be the happiest people that you rub shoulders with this week. Because like Christian on the dangerous journey in Pilgrim's Progress, your burden's been lifted. You have Christ. Your performance this week will not change who you are in God's eyes because you have Christ. Jesus is enough. Pray with me. Father, please help us. Father, I confess that far too often I evaluate my own performance, my own works, and I struggle to believe the simplicity of Romans 8.1. There is therefore no condemnation, no judgment, No anger 
no dissatisfaction, no turning away, no forsaking for those who are in Christ Jesus. Lord, enable us to live in light of this. Enable us to be faithful followers of Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.